If you would, let's, let's find the screen. Our series text is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Read it out loud with me, please, this morning, if you would. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. How many of you know we've got that tower in this place this morning? The tower of His presence. Hallelujah. One more verse, Exodus 15, 26. Read this one out loud with me, please. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Let's bow our hearts together. Let's just lift our hands right now in a place of, of surrender and reception. God, we thank you today for the word of the Lord. It is from everlasting to everlasting. Heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will not pass away. Thank you, Lord. No word of God returns to you void. No word of God is void of power. It accomplishes that which you please. It prospers in the thing whereunto you've sent it. You said in Jeremiah, I will hasten over my word to perform it. God, we stand on the promise of the scripture today that says you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. We pray, Lord, for these next few moments as we open your word together. We pray, Holy Spirit, you will come and you will heal us spiritually and physically, relationally, emotionally, financially, socially, oh God, in every kind of way. Everything that is under the curse today, we thank you that the gospel is about reversing it. In the name of Jesus. I can't do anything apart from you, and I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you get in the middle of this and you do what only you can do. You touch hearts and change lives. I'll be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Ben. Just... Hallelujah. Guys, she's just exuberant with the presence of the Lord that's just sort of overflowing. She's all right. Just if you're a guest this morning, that's okay. We just want to give God some praise. Hallelujah. The scripture says in Psalms, shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Oh, clap your hands. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you love the Lord this morning? Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. We uh, have been in this series called The Name Above All Names. And I just want to stop right now in this service. I failed to do it in the last service. I want to say I just am blown away at our preaching team. It's an honor for me to be a part of these. Alex and Jeremy and Haley have just been doing an amazing job. Pastor Jeremy last week took us to the Mount of Moriah he laid Isaac on that altar and, and Abraham raised the knife and the angel of the Lord came and provided a ram in the thicket. Week before that, Haley took us out there in the wilderness with Hagar who had been mistreated and had been abused and wounded and was hurt and in a slave relationship and had a baby to be taken care of and God met her and in that place of, of Rohi, El Rohi, the God who sees me, Haley did an amazing job. Week before that, Pastor Alex just did a great job with Jehovah Sid Kenu, with the Lord our righteousness, that he becomes sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. Alex talked about theologically the double imputation 
of all of our sin gets imputed to. It's an accounting term. It gets debited to Christ's account and His righteousness is credited to ours. So it's a complete reversal, a double imputation. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. The week before that, I talked about the Redeemer God. His name is Yahweh. We have the English transliteration Jehovah. And so we've been building on, a, on these compound names of God. Um, we, we've, we've talked about several principles of God being self-revealing. Just to give you a quick review, God is self-revealing. Because He is self-revealing, we can know Him. Right. There's been a line upon line. Isaiah 28 says line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. We see God sort of un folding, pulling off another layer of the onion to show his heart to humanity. The heavens were closed in the garden because Adam reached for the one thing God said was his. Everything else belonged to Adam. That one thing belonged to God. Adam committed high treason and the heavens that had been opened were closed. And so God is then about the business who had once walked with man in the cool of the day exposing his heart in an intimate way. Now he's having to reveal himself generation by generation. And as we said early on, God stepped back and he took his cosmic iPhone and he put his arm around Abraham, like Pastor Jeremy shared last week, in his moment of sacrifice. And he said, come on, take a selfie with me, Abraham. We're going to put this up on the Instagram. He says, I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees your need and provides for it ahead of time. And so God's done that with every one of these. He's self-revealing. And because He's self-revealing, we can know Him. And the second principle is His self-revelation is progressive. What He does in Abraham, He trusts Abraham to transfer that into the lives of His children. As a matter of fact, Genesis 18, He said, I've chosen you, Abraham, because I know you'll be faithful and you'll train your children. You'll teach your children. And so God reveals Himself to Abraham. Abraham's responsibility then is to tell his children who this God is that he's worshiping. So the children start off on a greater footing, on a higher foundation. We are able to stand on the generations before us because they've seen God prove himself to them and we hear their testimonies and we understand that God is continuously opening up layer upon layer of the big onion, so to speak, of the greatness of his character and his nature. So I just want to say to you as parents this morning, your responsibility is not to rely on a great youth pastor or a wonderful children's minister, but it's to do your due diligence at home and tell your children how great God has been in your life, how you were in need and you prayed and God answered your prayer. Because that builds faith in the hearts of your children. And they grow up. The Bible says, train up your child in the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it. He'll remember the God of his mother and his father, her mother and her father. So this morning, God is self-revealing. His self-revelation is progressive. And then finally, one little point of review, and I want to, want to jump, and that is God himself is all-sufficient. He is all-sufficient for every need of every man. That's another one of the names of God, El Shaddai, the Almighty One, God Almighty, the All-Sufficient One, the Many-Breasted One, the Mighty Warrior, God Almighty. He, is, he doesn't have any need. There's nothing in God that's lacking that he has to go to the store to get. There's nothing outside of him. He has to go acquire it from somewhere else. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He chooses. He wants fellowship with us. He doesn't need anything. He is all sufficient. He is the self-existent one. I know that's a little bit theological, but I want you just to see how great and how powerful this God is that we serve. He is all sufficient. Everything that will ever be needed, he is all of that. 
He doesn't just provide that. He himself is that. He provides himself the lamb. Now, as I start this morning, I want to make one observation. and I want to really encapsulate it better than I did in the first service. I went a little too long, so I want to just give it to you in about one, one minute. The last 30 years, we've seen a polarization of ideas. $100 word is ideological polarization. We've got extremes on both sides. The Democrats over here and the Republicans over here, I guess it should be left and right this way. And it should be the liberals and the conservatives. And especially in politics in America, we have, we've run hard to the extremes. And then that separated us. And the Democrats are sure that the Republicans are idiots and the Republicans are, are confident that the Democrats are demon-possessed. <laughs> and so on. And for a while there, Christianity sort of, especially in the South, evangelical Christianity, sort of put forth the idea that if you're really a Christian, you had to be, and you can fill in your own blank in terms of what you were going to be and which political party you affiliated with. It polarized, and anytime you polarize, we set up an us and them mentality. And we are the righteous God, we're the righteous ones of God, and they're the enemy. And we start demonizing the other side. This has become pervasive in our society. It has, has been ethnically and in the races since the, really since from the foundation of America. Because we started out enslaving a whole race of people. And then the soul of our nation was ripped open from 1860 to 1865 and the civil, the civil War. Yes, help me preach. <laughs> and so it's us and them. It's especially in the South. It's white and black. And until you get the revelation that grace is bigger than race, you will fight prejudice the rest of your life. Grace, God is bigger than. Put God in front of race and you will get grace and grace will swallow up race. Amen. And there's neither Jew or Greek, bond or free, white or black, male or female. None of that stuff even counts anymore in Christ. We are all one in Christ. Come on, somebody. And so we have the haves and the have-nots, and we have the educated and uneducated, we have the rich and the poor, and yada, yada, yada. So on and on and on, we got all these polarized opposites that are demonizing and throwing rocks at each other. And it's not been absent from the church. The church has been at a rift over the subject of what we're going to talk about today, and that is the miraculous power of God. Really, since the Reformation was the idea of this whole concept, it, it becomes... Uh, it becomes a philosophy. It becomes part of the theology from the Reformation period on, the 1500s. I won't chase the rabbit down the trail to tell you the lengthy story of why they gave us this thing called cessationism in the first place, which is the ceasing idea, idea of ceasing of miracles. It was a whole lot to do with some outlandish claims by the Roman Catholic Church with just ridiculous nonsensical claims on miracles that were obviously not. And so they just knee-jerked it, swung the pendulum the other way, and said, no, there are no more. And so for the last four or five hundred years, we've been wrestling back and forth with this question. And it's become bigger. It became bigger, uh, especially in the turn of the century, when the Pentecostal movement, God restored Pentecost to the planet, so to speak. 1900, December 31st, uh, 1899, it's about to roll over 1900, the Bethel Bible College in uh, Charles Parham in Topeka, Kansas, is leading a group of students who are saying there's got to be more. There has to be something more. And they're seeking the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Agnes Osmond speaks in Chinese, and it's verified. His historical, his historical uh, fact that can't be refuted. And so we have the birth of the Pentecostal movement, and we've got people now that are prophesying and speaking in tongues and all of these sorts of things. 
And it's basically a squaring off against these two. We have cessationists on one side, and then we have continuationists on the other. And this thing that's happened in the church is basically an extreme polarization, and they're demonizing one another, okay? Uh, the, the heart of evangelical Christianity in the South has been baptized in this idea of cessationism. And basically what cessationism is, is that God never, you say, everybody say never. never. Okay, now we've got the opposite extreme side on the other end of continuationism, which basically says God always. Everybody say always. Now let me just give you a real quick little marriage communication seminar right here in the middle of my teaching on God heals. And that is, I, I always train folks when they're sitting in counseling with me to get prepared for marriage is there are two words you never use when you're having a fight with the one you love. You always, well, you never. All the, all the married people are shaking their head going, oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Because you know that when you look at her and you say you always and she comes back with you never, you know this thing is not headed in the right direction. So when we communicate, we should never use. Why? Why should we not? Because they're sweeping generalities that are not true. And if you really corner a cessationist, there are a number of things that have happened, especially get one to the mission field when all the stuff starts happening that's out of their little theological box. God starts showing out and showing up. And then they go, well, I can't explain it. Well, it must be the providence of God. So there are always ways to explain it away. So therefore, they have to qualify. Never doesn't always mean never. And that's about 14 negatives there. So figure that out, what I just said. But then I just want to say to you this morning, I'm not going to get in this box in one side or the other and throw stones at the other because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we could just dial the thing down, turn the, turn the stove down about two notches and sit down and talk, you would find out that there are some people over there that do trust God for healing and that we would find out here that sometimes we've figured out that we've tried to put God in a formula and make Him a slot machine confess a scripture a number of times, we can therefore take God's arm and put it behind his back and put him in a rear naked chokehold and we can make God do what we want him to do when we want him to do it, saying God always, both of them are wrong. There's, I always withhold, anytime I tell people about a promise of God, I'll tell you 98% of the time, you're going, wait a minute, now this just doesn't sound, let me tell you, I can't prove this in scripture but I'll tell you, 98% of the time, you stand on the promise of God by faith, you're going to see, you, you sow a Bible principle, you're going to reap a Bible result. But the first time you start saying God always does it this way, guess what? You're going to have a John 11 where two women are mad because Jesus didn't show up when he thought they were supposed to, when they thought he was supposed to, and their brother who shouldn't have died went in the grave... And God didn't do it the way they prayed that he would do it. And they're upset and they're complaining and they're, they're mad. They're shaking their finger at God. Jesus shows up and Mary and Martha both singing the same sad sack song going, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now that's the 2%. Now how many of you know God still brought glory? He said, no, no, you don't even understand what's going on. This is all about the glory of God. So I want to tell you to trust in the promises of God. When you don't trust the promises of God, you are like an heir to a billionaire, but you're not taking advantage of any of your inheritance. You're, you're heir to, 
the fact that somebody worked, and I'm talking about Christ, who is billionaire doesn't even get it. Let's put a billion more zeros in front of the billionaire. And let's talk about an indescribable, infinitesimal, infinitesimal number of the value of God's worth and how much he died. He who was rich became poor so you could be blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And when you don't make a demand on the account, when you don't say, Whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, it shall be done for you. When you don't ask, James 1 says you, you ask not, and so you have not. And so when you preach God never, guess what? You've got a congregation that never asks God. You've got a group that don't trust the Lord for God to call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. It just, it's always predictable. It's not going to be out of the ordinary. You're, not, you're always going to have a service where everything is just nice and polished and planned and, and nobody gets out of it, whack a little bit and nobody shouts a little bit too long or, or, or nobody cries or, or nobody just falls over and giving God. How many of you know life is awkward? Life is a mess. And I would rather have a whole room full of people that I had to once in a while say, hey, it's okay, let them praise God, than to try to raise the dead every week. I want not an, an awkward, outrageous demonstration of something that is out of place. I just want your heart so hungry for God to do whatever He wants to do that we're available, that we're, we're open. We're going, God, whatever you want to do, I'm ready. I'm Just hit me with it, Lord. I don't care that I've never seen it before. I don't care that my mind can't comprehend it. I want more of you than I've ever had before in my life. And I believe there were a people that thought they had that kind of heart. Think about what they have just experienced. What has just happened in this story? What has just happened? We've got 600,000 men. Works of Josephus tell us that was the genealogical record, the number of Jews, men. You put them with their wives and a couple of children each, and you have a solid conservative estimate of 2.5 million Hebrews that are about to be delivered out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, by the blood, the water, and the Spirit. You remember what just happened. I'm going to encapsulate this a little better than I did in the first one too. God sends Moses in to Pharaoh, ten plagues, take him down. He hardens his heart first. Every time he says, okay, pray to your God, stop this, clean up these frogs, get rid of these gnats, move out all of the, the, all the, the locusts that have eaten, everything in the field that's available. Every time... Uh, Pharaoh would say, call upon your God. I'll let you go for your three days and worship the Lord. And then he would deny it. He would harden his heart. And after a couple of rounds of that, God started hardening his heart for him. Just a quick, not going to chase that rabbit, be careful of the condition of your heart because you can keep hardening it to the point that the Lord will start helping you. He'll turn the heat up. And you want a heart of gold that melts before God, not a heart of clay that gets hard. That'll preach right there. And as he did it, he continued to deny the promise that he'd made to the children of Israel. Finally, God slaps Pharaoh and all of Egypt with the tenth plague, which is the Passover. And that is the, the death angel passes over, and it's the plague of the firstborn. Pharaoh's own son, the prince of Egypt, who is heir to the throne of the most powerful nation on the planet at the time, dies because the, the death angel passes over and it, the house, the palace of Pharaoh is not marked with the blood of a lamb. 
Exodus 12, every lamb, every house needs a lamb. Everybody's eating lamb. It's a picture of Christ that we assimilate Him into our lives. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world and His shed blood covers us and his, the life of His flesh heals us and ministers to us and every house eats a whole lamb and they take the hyssop and they dip it into the blood of the slain lamb and they put three crosses over the doorpost. And remember that the Bible story in Charlton Heston and Cecil B. DeMille with the Ten Commandments and here comes this, man, it was really cool back in the late 40s when it was made. Here comes this creeping, dense green fog with fingers crawling out and it's the angel of death and you hear people screaming and wailing at night because people are dying. But every place that had the blood on the doorpost, there was peace in the house. There was the protection of God. They had just seen God protect them as the covenant people. God had made a deal with their great, 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 great grandfather 430 years prior. And they were in a relationship with God because of a deal God had made with their great, 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 great granddaddy, Abraham. In the very same way that you're here this morning because God made a deal with Christ and He had you in His mind before the foundation of the world. Before you ever born, God delivers them. They come across the Red Sea. You remember the story. Gospel according to Cecil B. DeMille. He's got all these two and a half million Hebrews that are trekking across the Red Sea. God opens the watery hinges of the Red Sea. And you see the last little one when you watch the movie. It's that little granny. And here comes this little Toto dog from Wizard of Oz <laughs> showing up in the Ten Commandments. It's a little Yorkie terrier. And running across and granny grabs the terrier and she's frightened because she looks back and here comes Pharaoh's chariots and hosts and his armies and all of these taskmasters that had just been beating the, the fire out of these people for generations. Now they're hot on their heels. God, what are you going to do? Well, guess what? In that moment, we have an opportunity where we can either run our mouths and complain, we can let fear take over, or we can realize that the God who brought us to it will bring us through it. Amen. Tell your neighbor right now, say, if he brought you to it, he will bring you through it. Man, that'll if I don't say anything the rest of the day, that'll preach right there. Whatever you're going through right now, if he brought you to it, he can bring you through it. Let's just make it even more positive. Say it like this after me. If he brought me to it, he will bring me through it. Give God some praise. Come on. Hallelujah. And so the next thing that happens is in the moment where they think they're going to get caught, God waits in His sovereign control, viewing this from the grandstand of heaven, and all of a sudden He pushes the button and He slams the watery hinges on the Red Sea. And here come Pharaoh's chariots and hosts and commanders and taskmasters all come floating to the top completely drowned. And you remember the story about the unregenerate seminary professor who said, well, there was no miracle there because the Red Sea only has about six inches of water in it. And a pretty perceptive young believer in the back raised his hand and said, well, that's an even greater miracle because the army of Pharaoh died in six inches of water. <laughs> See, it's all about perspective. And you know what, if you can grab that this morning and see your circumstances differently and know that God sees them differently than you do, Amen. if you can lift up your eyes and get some God perspective in your life, it's, it's called faith. Everybody say faith. faith. We're going to sing about that at the end of the service today. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so as we look through this very quickly, 
What's just happened? They've just been delivered. They saw their enemies come gurgling to the top. And Miriam, the sister of Moses, grabs a tambourine and takes the women of Israel dancing on the bank on the other side. That's the testimony on the other side. And she starts... She starts playing the tambourine and she grabs that tambourine and she says, the Lord is a man of war. It won't come off. Lord is a man of war. Great and mighty is he. And Miriam starts making up this whole thing about the horse and the chariot and the rider has he thrown into the sea and all of the women of Israel start joining in and they're doing a, I'm going to tell you, there ain't nothing at the club (laughs) that can compare when the people of God have a deliverance to be able to celebrate. You can't juke and jive at the club like you can in the Holy Ghost. And they're shouting because God has just caused the death and the drowning of people who had persecuted them and wounded them for four centuries plus. So they're celebrating this. This is an amazing moment. If God brought you to it, He can, He will bring you through it. And so we want to take the next step because between the promise of God and the provision of God, there's this thing called space and time. Even when you catch the idea of a dream and it impregnates your soul. There's a gestational period where that seed begins to grow. We're, we're, we're not going to stop and do biology 101 this morning, but when a seed unites with an egg, that, that, that seed has to gestate for nine months, and then there is the pain of birthing this new creation. And, and so between the time that you hear the promise of God and you grab a hold of it in faith and the time that you actually see it birthed, there is this thing called time and space and time, and you have to walk it out, and you have to wait. Some, some of that period of waiting that nine months for Drew and for Abby to get here was just, just almost excruciating, going, are we ever going to have this baby? And, it just, and, and interestingly enough, when God gave Moses the picture later on in Exodus for the tabernacle of Moses, it took exactly nine months for that to be built and developed and for the glory of God to settle down in it. Kind of a cool thing there in terms of the place of God's dwelling. And so what's the story now? This is what's happening in Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Everybody say Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. Now this is what I want you to see. The, the name Shur in Hebrew literally means a wall. Everybody say wall. Do you know that sometimes God will let you hit a wall in order to teach you how to trust in Him? Uh, There's a plain. As soon as you cross the Red Sea, heading out of Egypt, toward into the Promised Land, through the wilderness, as soon as you cross that, there's this open plain, but then springing up out of this wilderness desert-like area, all of a sudden is this big rock formation, a mountainous plateau that they literally call it that's why the word sure means wall. It is like a wall. So they walk three days into the wilderness. Now remember, they have been laden down with provision because they got returned to them 400 plus years of back wages. The Bible says that the Lord spoke to them and said, I'm going to make the Egyptians be pleasantly and positively disposed to you so that when you leave, ask them for valuable things. 
gems, you know, precious stones, silver, gold, all this kind of stuff. They just unloaded their houses and said, take this, please get out, leave us. And so they got 400 years of back wages. They've got their bread still in the kneading trough. They're probably carrying a little bit of water with them. But you think about two and a half million people on the move in three days. They haven't found water yet. We're in trouble. And so they start to grumble. God, why would you bring us out here and let us die? Just three days ago, just saw a miracle that is practically indescribable. This is why a steady diet of miracles won't keep you in a right relationship with God. Because for 40 years, they saw a miracle every day, but they still tried to raise up a a golden image, an idol, a, a calf, and bowed down to worship it. Because Moses was taking a little longer on the mountain than they thought he should take, and God wasn't doing things the way they expected him to do them. Okay? Which is our, our problem most of the time is when we pray and we expect God to do it one way. Many times he answers the prayer. It just doesn't necessarily come the route that we thought he was going to use. And really, if it gets done, who cares? But when you're in the middle of that, that's another story because this is the challenge of faith. And so they hit this wall. And the Bible says, this is the question I want to ask, how are we like the children of Israel today? I'm still. You, you are. We wrestle with this. Now, when they came to Marah, everybody say Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. That's what the word means. Mary, Jesus' mother, her name literally means bitterness. When the prophet spoke to her, he said, you will have bitterness of soul because this one that I've raised up will be for the rising, for the falling and the rising of many, of many in Israel. And he says, a sword will pierce your own soul also. Any mother who has to see her son go to the cross for the world is going to experience the temptation of being bitter, of bitterness. So therefore the name of it was called Mara, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now here's the principle. Nothing like dire need will reveal the contents of our hearts. You wait till somebody's in trouble and the rent's due and the transmission falls out the back end and the hot water heater busts. Yeah, it's not burst. And in the South, it's bust. It's busted. And all of that stuff starts happening and then everything you can't even mention. Yeah, Murphy ain't got no law big enough to cover some of the stuff some folks have been through. And it just everything that can go wrong has already done gone wrong. And you think you were chosen before the foundation of the world for all the things to go wrong. That's how you feel in that moment. And nothing like that kind of need will reveal the contents of my heart because like that aerosol can at home that says, careful, contents under pressure, you start getting pressure from the inside, on the outside and inside your brain and all of this stuff that you're wrestling with and you just feel like a powder keg that's about ready to blow. And that's when the stuff starts seeping out, the contents of my heart. If it's filled with the joy of the Lord, praise will come out. If it's filled with doubt and unbelief and fear, guess what? I'm going to complain and grumble and mumble. Or as the sister said in North Carolina, all this mumbering and complaining. Some of you know what that means. We don't need to do that. So they cry out to, to the Lord. And Moses, being a good, faithful leader, does what leaders are supposed to do. So the Bible says in verse 25, He cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. Everybody say a tree. Come on, say, say a tree. I want you to get this. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Now, now notice this. This is not Moses' idea. He didn't get this out of a church growth book or a cool program or following the latest church trend. 
He didn't, this, this was something that he cried out to God, got on his face, got on his knees. God showed him a tree. That's what we need. That's what you need. That's what I need. And let me show you what this tree was. God showed him a tree and the Bible says, There he made a statute and an ordinance for them and there he tested them. Verse 26, and he said, here's your text. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought, or I have, yeah, I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now listen to me. I want to, I want to teach for a couple of minutes. God shows Moses who is a type of Christ. He's a picture. He's a prophetic symbol. A prophet like unto Moses, God is going to raise up Deuteronomy 18, 18. That's Moses himself prophesying about God raising up Jesus 2,000 years later. Okay, So Moses is the federal head of the old covenant. He's a picture of Christ who is the federal head of our new covenant. Okay, God the Father shows Moses, who is a type of Christ, a tree. Everybody say, the cross. And so he shows him the cross. He says, I want you to take this cross and cast it into the bitter waters of this nation's experience. Everybody say, the curse. The bitter waters are the taste of everything that has come upon us because of our own sinful choices. The curse of the law of sin and death. Every one of us, we die, we're sick, we lack, stuff breaks down. Relationships deteriorate. Folks get into trouble. They're tempted. They sin. The cycle continues. It becomes a downward spiral into a cesspool of bondage that it's going to take a deliverer. It's going to take, a, it's going to take Christ to bring a tree and thrust that into the bitterness of the curse that you're experiencing to turn your bitter waters into something that will become sweet. Come on. Man. There's nothing like... The Old Testament ceases to be just a book of history and facts. It comes alive when you have Christ in your heart and you look back and you recognize God was revealing to them and showing to Him in a natural panorama, a movie in front of their faces of the one who was going to come and be the real Messiah who would die on a tree and the tree would be cast into the bitter waters of the curse of humanity. God shows Moses a type of Christ a tree, which is the cross that must be cast into the bitter waters, the curse that's on man's life. And this is where God reveals himself. He shows the cross and he says, Guys, this tree that's just sweetened the curse of the bitter waters of your life, I'm showing you right now, if you will hearken to me, hear. Everybody say, hear. Did you know that there's an ear inside your heart? This is the ear you want to hear with right here, your spiritual ear. We're not talking about here. Every time Jesus said it, his most repeated phrase is, to him that has ears to hear, let him hear. Everybody out there standing on the side of the hill when he was talking had two pieces of flesh flapping on the side of their head. So he's not talking about this. He says, if you have an ear to hear, spell the word heart. Come on. H-E-A-R-T. Middle three letters are what? Ear. You have an ear in your heart. Hear right here. If you will hearken to me, listen, hear. Hear the voice. Hear my voice. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. I will provide in this tree part of the covenant, the healing that you need. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. 
I want you to hear this. This is something that was understood throughout the rest of the Old Covenant. Everybody knew that God was their healer because it was a progressive revelation laid upon generation and they kept laying it down and passing it, passing the baton to the next generation. This is what David said by the time he came along, oh, some 500 years or so later. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Listen, I'll go, I'll go ahead and read one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Everybody say benefits. This, these are the benefits of the covenant. Now he's going to list five. Five is the number of grace. Here we go. Listen. Let's name them. Count them with me. Here we go. He says, who forgives all your iniquity. Everybody say one. Forgiveness is the first one. Who heals all your diseases. Everybody say two. So healing is the second one. Who redeems your life from the pit. Everybody say three. All right. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Everybody say four. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Five. There's five things right there. The grace of God forgives your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, delivers you from the destruction and the bad behavior, sets you free, crowns you with love and mercy over your life. It becomes a mark of your life. And then He satisfies your mouth. with. It gives you something good to taste of. So guess what? If you've got something good going in, you're going to have something good coming out. A satisfied mouth doesn't grumble and complain. A satisfied mouth is going to be rejoicing in the joy of the Lord. Five things. Listen to this in Psalm 107. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? David again says, They cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them. Now, that's not just a spoken proclamation. I believe the word that God sent out was Jesus who was sent by God who came and healed us. And He delivered them from their destruction. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, reading from the uh, ESV, it says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. King James says, with His stripes, by His stripes we are healed. Guys, when you stop and analyze that, there's something for every aspect. Physical healing, grief and sorrow is emotional healing. Chastisement of peace, that's so you don't worry. Come on. Sisters, come on. Come on. There's, some, there's some ladies in the house. And not that men don't worry. Some men do. But, but let me just tell you, the, 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 a lot of times that's the, the, the real thing that holds back some of my sisters is just this constant fretting and knitting uh, over things and just constantly worrying. How I many of you know God, He died so you could have some peace? Listen to this in Matthew 8, 16, 17. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, I want to say one thing about my brothers and sisters over here in the cessationist camp. And that is, they, they are strident about insisting on a literal interpretation of Scripture. But when you read this, they spiritualize it. Oh, well, you know, it's, you've been healed of your sin. 
Well, yeah, of course. Praise God. That's the greatest miracle. But all of these things are part of the covenant. Emotional healing, physical healing, relational healing. God wants peace in your home between husband and wife, between parents and children. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? The covenant of God deals with all of this stuff. And when we, when we find ourselves spiritualizing something because we're not seeing effects, and this is what happens many times. And I, if, I, if, if I'm found in one side of the camp or the other, I would, I would identify with the continuationist side. I'm just not all the way to that extreme that always says always. This side promotes unbelief. This side promotes presumption where you think you can make God do. Always. Always is presumption. Never is unbelief. Those are the extreme ends. I believe the body for the most part is you know, somewhere away from those ends and toward the middle these are TV preachers over here that are, that are taking up $1,000 love offerings. I'll leave that alone. You know, if you send in $67.95 for 12 months, then you'll get your healing. <laughs> Honey, your healing got paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross. This is ridiculous grammar, but I'm going to say it like I'm hearing it anyway. You don't need to write no check for your healing. Okay? Uh, unless that's what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, and I believe He can do that. It'd be just as wrong for me to say He would never do that. See, see always and never are going to get you in trouble. Okay? I, I'd rather a church be open and go ready to go, God, I trust you. I'm hungry for you. I believe we're going to trust God for, for miracles to break through because Jesus didn't do one thing for a while, change his mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, somebody, give God some praise. All right, I'm, I'm finished. Last point, Jesus Christ reversed the curse by becoming a curse for us. Listen, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There's that tree right there. That's found, Old Testament, in the law of God, that any man who hangs on a tree, he is cursed under the curse of God. So Jesus himself not only takes on but becomes the curse for us so that we could be delivered from it and everything that is under the curse is totally and completely reversed. The gospel is all about reversing everything that has to do with the cycle of sin and death. Listen as I finish. It's listed in your notes. Sin, sickness, and disease. Grief and sorrows. Ignorance, poverty, and death are all under the curse. If you are a child of God, you do not have to live under that any longer. Amen. Come on. Last statement and I'm finished. The finished work of Christ provided Christ's righteousness. That's for your sin. His healing. That's for grief and sorrow, sickness and disease. Peace. That's your grief and sorrows. Wisdom. That counters our ignorance. Uh, our lack, poverty, that's the provision of God. And then finally, life in the place of death. I'm going to say it again. The finished work of... Everybody say, it is finished. He's already paid for it right there. Do not spend your life 
never taking hold of what Jesus Christ died to put into play for you. He's the only man in history who ever died as a testator so that his will could go into effect, his last will in testament, the New Testament. He's a testator. He dies so that his will goes into effect. He's the only man who ever did that, rose from the grave to become the executor over his own estate. My, my, my. That'll preach and it's not even Easter. The only man in history who died to put his will into effect, his last will and testament, rose again from the grave to become the executor over his own will to see that it's carried out. You are heirs of Jesus Christ. You are heirs of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says because of that, you are the seed of Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham, now that promise is yours. That's the finishing of this chapter in Galatians 3 that I don't have time to look to. The finished work of Christ provided Christ's righteousness, His healing, His peace, His wisdom, His provision, and His life. This morning, 